welcome back to the Gnostic Informant, and you are about to attain true Gnosis. And today we're going to talk about the question I've been asking Bible scholars for years, and I cannot get to the bottom of this question. And there, it is about Mark 14, the grandest chapter of all the chapters in Mark. Mark's the first gospel. Mark is the real, Mark's the original gospel. The most important gospel, in my opinion, it's the mystery, the mystery being revealed. But when we get to chapter 14, all of a sudden, all these mysterious things are happening. Jesus' feet are being anointed. The Peter is being told that the cock will crow three times if, and then he will deny Jesus. And all these weird stuff that doesn't make sense in English. And so I decided... The Bible scholars aren't telling me what's going on in the end of Mark, at the end of Mark 14 with this little boy in the Garden of Gethsemane running away naked as Jesus is being arrested by Judas and people bearing the torches. If the Bible scholars can't tell me what's going on here, I'm going, I'm going to turn it to the classicists because the classicists, they know the Greek. So you can't learn a lot about classical Greek through the Koine. But you can learn a lot about the Koine through the classical Greek because the Koine comes out of classical Greek. Does that make sense? So with that being said, before we get into anything, I just want to let you guys know, Lady Babylon, go and subscribe. Nobody on the internet is going as deep as Dr. Amon, who is my guest today. Dr. Amon, how are you doing today? Great, great, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. Links in the description for the channel. Go and subscribe. And it's one of some of the best stuff out there. Some of the nobody's like, like I said, there's 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 different types of scholars and you and people like Dr. Ruck who are not afraid to step on people's toes and get a little dirty once in a while. This is where it's at. Lady Babylon. And yeah, check it out. But uh, let's get into this topic of Mark 14. What is this? I'm not, I'm I'm actually I'm actually going to let you take it away for a little bit. I'm I'll jump in with a few questions here and there. But this is something that needs to be explained a little more than just a couple sentences. We need to go through let's go through the Greek systematically and describe what's going on here and then we, maybe we can come to a conclusion. Yeah, that's my that's my bag too, Neil. I love it when you call up the sources and you're just like, let's just look at what they said and see what we can gather from what they're saying. We just listen in for a moment. So let's jump right into those sources. I want to, Neil knows, I want to bring you the apocalypse, right? I want to show you. I want that thing revealed. I want that sacred made profane so that you can get in there and Jesus's world right there with them and see him for what he is. So let's go to the, let's go to the very first, passage this is mark right we're taking the gospels here yeah can i kai neoniscos tis sun ecoluthe autoi peribeblemenos sin dona epigumno and there was this kid some kid was with him and this verb sun akuluthe right um from sun akulutheo this verb is uh, what you talk about when you talk about slaves being assigned to someone. So there's some slave kid assigned Whoa. to him. 
Yeah, and he's Petty Beple Menos. This is just from Perry Barlow. Nice, nice, uh, you know, standard, standard Greek just means to throw and Perry means around. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's throwing around himself. He's using something. What is he using? Sindona. He's using a sindon. And what we have a, the word here for sindon. This is everybody knows this passage. This kid with this thing. Can we see some, Neil? Can we see some of the, yeah, uh, look, look at what kind of translations we have. Yeah. This, I just pulled out a whole plethora of English so that nobody can say, but what about this one? Here we yeah. have them all laid out for us. Yeah. From the NIV down to the King James, it says, oh, I'm sorry, this is the wrong verse. Okay, sorry. New, here, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. But if I'm not mistaken, young man, we're talking the word neo neo neoniscos is young boy. Isn't that the right correction correct translation for that? It comes from the root, it comes from the root neo neos, and that is the idea of the budding. The idea is not a specific age group. Could this kid be an early teenager? Hmm, it's the bud. He's in the in the in the newness of his life. And that's important because remember, it's their world, not our world. Right. We're imposing our view on it, right? They're looking at this budding kid wearing nothing, right? But a linen garment. Ooh, that's a little bit of a stretch, right? A garment yes. is a, doesn't say garment there, right? A linen shirt. Look at the next one. A linen shirt. Oh, yeah. Nothing but a linen cloth. Yeah, right? See all the different kind of clothing that you end up getting in this? Right, because yes. we want to dress Jesus. But, hey, let's pull up Alice, Neil, like you know we love to do. And oh, let's yeah. See, let's see what that scene done is. Look at so, this. So scene done mm -hmm. is the linen cloth of the translation that we're looking at. Right. But, but this is this is from Perseus Tufts, so we like to call Alice, because we're going into Alice Wonderland. We're going into the sources. This is all the times his words use in the context. Fine cloth, usually linen, okay? Used for mummies, <laughs> surgeon bandages. Wait a minute, Herodotus used this word. Yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. know how to read the Perseus Toss, but there you see that HDT 286. Yeah. That Herodotus in book two, verse 86, used this word for a surgeon bandage. And and what's cool, Neil, is Alan talks about. These drugs, I was a grad student trying to figure this out. And one day I was reading a text that said they take this bandage and they impregnate it. They put the medicine in it and then wrap the wound. And okay, so anyway, let's go back to the passage. It's a, it's so a band, it's right? Medical, there's a medical use for it. So you're saying a Galen yeah, no. for medical. Yes, and not just Galen. Right, but it's just referring to a strip of cloth. And this kid, if you go back to our original text, that first one, this kid is wearing it. He's being very specific and he says, Epigumnu, on his place of shame. On his place of shame, he's wearing it, right? Wow. Right? Kai, let's let's keep reading it. Let's keep reading it. Kai Kratus in Auton. And they, Kratusen, they took possession of him. They arrested him. 
they strong armed him there it's talking about jesus typically they try to say this was the boy but it doesn't make sense if it's the boy with the next greek that we have hode katalipon ten sindona gumnos efugen the one who was naked fled after leaving his bandage yeah right why because they're not trying to strong arm the kid right Right. They're, trying to, they're trying to strong arm Jesus. And that's when Jesus says, so importantly, which is our next text. Check out this next text. This one? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus answers them, right? And he said to them, did you come out here against me as if I were a lace dace? Having, <laughs> having your, having your uh, clubs and your you know, weapons, you know, you're going to take me this way. Yeah. Your clubs and your swords, right? What are you doing? It's that famous passage, but everybody remembers that the Laestes means robber or the pirate, right? <laughs> Jesus is saying, I'm a pirate, right? Look there at the very bottom under Roman numeral number two. Yeah. And you see the Cupridos, the pirate of Cyprus oh. and the reference the reference in Lycophron to 1143, where we are talking about abducting young women to be sold to uh, others for things like slavery, um, uh, sexual gratification. Um, you can sell to a temple. They could have been sold off as priestesses. Right. Um, but these are Jesus says, you're not coming out against me like I'm a with all these weapons, like I'm a, uh, some kind of child trafficker. So that well, that's what he's saying with, when he says you're that yeah. I didn't know that, that, that pings yeah. a lot of context of what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, what about Jesus and child children and child sacrifice, uh, child trafficking. And is there anything else? If we're just detectives saying, this is the, this is the evidence we have. And from the Garden of Gethsemane, we have that one piece of evidence. We have that kid's um, penile wrap. We have the penile wrap of the child. Yeah, that's the only like fragment of history that was left at the scene, right? Otherwise, we know Jesus is saying he's not a pirate and he's got it covered with some stuff that you right that they don't know what it is right we're not okay. like look we're not we're, it's not like we're pulling stuff out of outer space like the text tells us there's a little boy in him in with him in the garden as he's being arrested who runs away naked yeah. like we're, this is not like we're not like going to like some apocryphal text somewhere and like pulling out some random this is in the text, in Mark. And so we're just asking questions like, what's going on here? Is it an initiation? Is there, I've heard people say there was a resurrection. You know, they say, oh, you know, he wasn't there. To, he didn't go there with John and, and, and whoever else was there. He just was there in the cemetery and Jesus resurrected him. I've heard that theory. But the text doesn't say that. We're just adding stuff to whatever we want to the text. The text doesn't say that. It only says there's a little boy who ran away naked. So what's going on here? And and the best thing to do, Neil, that's why I love to hang with you, 
is because it's just those texts that matter. I can come up with a theory for what's going on. It doesn't do me any good if I just treat those texts. And that's what I want to jump. I want to jump. Okay, I didn't want to do this originally, but the last slide, the, the last, uh, yep, yeah, there. Hey, guys, let's just, I want to cut to the chase on this one. Look at this. This is, uh, um, I don't want to talk about the background of this thing whatsoever. People classify it as pseudo-clement. You can take that and deal with it what you want. I'm interested in the language here and mm. what what the Greek is saying. So, yeah. yeah. So, Jesus is mad, man, right, right off the bat. And he came back with her, this woman, to the garden. Where uh, was the Nemeon? Where was the cemetery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right away he heard from the cemetery, right from this tomb, um, Phone Megali, a great voice and approaching. Yeah, Jesus moved off the stone from the doorway of the tomb and entering in there, right there was this Neoniscos. You can see this on the one, two, three, four, fifth line down. Neoniscos. See the Neoniscos? Yeah, I see it, yeah. Okay, and there was a Neoniscos there, and he's what is he doing? He's stretching out his hand and waking him up. Isn't that cool? He's waking him up. Wait, do you realize that we heard a voice and we entered a tomb where a kid has to be roused? Where he has to be roused. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Probably smells like opium in here, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Honeaniscos. And so the, the kid does what? He looks up at him and he loves him. He loves him. And remember, this is in a text that itself says, hey, Jesus was a hierophant. Uh, wake up, people. Jesus was a hierophant. And what it is a hierophant? Right in the text, yeah. One who teaches the rites of sacrifice and worship, right? At Rome, it's just the Pontifex. Herodotus. Herodotus uses it for the initiation at Eleusis. Yes, yes. So this is a very specific role. We yeah. have another source from Plutarch says that this is what they call the Pontifex Maximus in Rome or the Jewish high priest. So this is somebody who's religious, who's doing rites, hierophant. Specifically those mystical rites that we call the mystery, that we call the mystery. So if you go back to that text, here we go, here we go. What is he doing? He's with the kid there and he rouses him up. The kid looking at him, loves him. And Erxato Parakalin started to ask him that he might be with him. What? Mm, mm, mm. And coming out from the tomb, Jesus went into the home, the oikia, the estate of the kid, for this kid was wealthy. He was loaded. And after six days, Jesus gave him instructions about how to look. And the kid came and wrapped around himself a scene dona epigumno. He wrapped his scene on his nakedness. Yeah. 
and he remained with him. He remained with him for the night. Yeah, throughout wow. the night. And now this is the kicker. This is the kicker right at the end. Edidaske got outlawed. Jesus and uh, Gar that Gar there is telling you why did he stay with a kid all night throughout the night because he was teaching him the Musterion oh the mystery yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's what the whole chapter is leading up to it's this this scene in the garden yeah yeah I think it might be the longest chapter in Mark. I could be wrong. It's one of the longest, at least. But it leads up to this. And it's it's very mysterious. There's something happening here. And I think these these Greek words are telling us, like, for example, you know, how we define Hierophant, teaching the rites, or the syndone, wearing the syndone. So, and, and I'm thinking in my head, is there a relation to this? And this is another gospel, but like, I know this is like the scholars say, don't compare gospel to gospel. They're two different writers, but like, I can't help it. The, in John, you have the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if this is Mark's way of telling about who this character is, some sort of initiate, some sort of apprentice, maybe. Yeah. And what's the connection with the boy having been assigned to Jesus? Like you'd buy a slave to do something. For a certain amount of time, you know, he's renting the person, right? And a lot of times the these little kitty slaves, they they're involved in things that aren't just for kids. And you think for yourself, you're sitting there and you think, oh, wait a minute, I'm starting to make me a little bit nauseous. Yeah, let's go back to the actual language, right? Because Jesus has a point where some people get upset at him. It's some of his own followers. And they say, hey, um, stop treating the children like this. Says he was touching them. And the word there is grabbing. And also, hopto, pull hopto up. Here it is, hopto. I got it, it. hopto. Yeah, look at this people, hopto. Can mean, you know, it's not just touching, like, you know, touching, it's grabbing right it's it's engaging something or attacking something contest and wrestling so yeah yeah. that's a specific touch right there and if and if you look at number five under roman numeral number three you see that it means to have straight up intercourse oh my god it can actually be used in that context and it is used by paul in corinthians that way wow Okay, so my mind is officially blown right now. For those of you who think you know, for those of you who think you know, Koine, Neil, can you take that off for a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. An appeal of vanity. Oh, yeah, one second. I just got (laughs) to go back down. Okay, go ahead. For those of you who don't think that, um, for those of you who think you know, Koine, (laughs) yeah. Kick up your stuff because, yeah, you're going to need it. You're going to need it. He was, so he's, he is in a situation where he's doing this to children. And the, a group of his followers stopped the parents from allowing it to take place. 
and they say, hey, stop doing this. And it says they're upset. And it uses tima'a, which typically can be used in a kind of a legal sense. It's got just a smidge of something judges say, right? Alice will tell you that, that it's used by judges. Um, and so, yeah. And so it's, it, it's a funny thing that they get these kids and Jesus steps up and it says, he says he's angry. And he says, no, you cannot enter into the kingdom unless you are one of these children. Let's look at what he's talking about because it has this, it has just a, just a, for us, it's just like, no, 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 don't think that, don't think that. Right, but let's see what the Greeks were thinking um, when he talks about his paideia. What are these paideia? People don't realize, right? Little children are following around Jesus. Why? They need the prayer. He's gonna, he's going to engage them, and he's going to enter into a prayer. And we see this in the performance of the mystery. And of course, that's why Jesus is so adamant. This you can't get into the kingdom this, you know, unless you come by this avenue. Right now, what is this paizo? What is it? What is this child thing in the in the ancient Greek mind, in the ancient Mediterranean mind that was wrapped up in the on the Hellenistic side with the Greek? Things are coming from their verbs. I want you just to take a look at this verb. It is the base for child, and it means to dance or play or play amorously. Wow. When you have the word paideia in Greek, it is understood that there is a relationship between the teacher and the teachee, and it has to do with touching. And it has to do with the maturation of the bud, right? You want to bring that bud to perfection. That's what they looked at as purification, as education, excuse me, as education, as paideia. That's why they call the horsemen who were hung the teachers of the princes that's why they call them pederasts. That's a Greek word for that teacher, the pederast. When Jesus is calling for paideia, he is calling for victims of pederasty. And we know that, that at least his attitude reflects this because when he gets called short on it, he says, you're going to end up scandalizing me. Right, right. So for those of you who have the little Jesus bless me and whatnot, realize there's a tradition of directly touching children, of molesting children associated with the rites and the mystery. Okay. Neil, you know. It's not a controversial statement. Any classicist will say, yeah. This is part of the Greek world. This was this was normalized in the Greek. I'm not saying I think we should bring it back or anything but i'm just saying that's the reality of the fact the greeks were you know what i'm saying it's just the reality of it you know, yeah. um actually in fact somewhere over here 
I have a book it's titled Puerolites, Puer- mm-hmm. and it's this scholar put together like tons of texts of ancient Greek that are very, um, very graphic, sexual, and and nine times out of ten, it's an older male with a prepubescent boy. Nine times out of ten, that's what that's what these texts are portraying. We've got gods who have boys that pour their nectar, and we have gods who are great mothers who bring their boys to maturation. These are essential to the mystery rites. Both of the ones I just mentioned to you, Heracles performs mystery rites. The temples to Heracles are temples where mystery rites are performed. Yes, fantastic. What about, you thought it was all athletics, right? (laughs) Right? Um, uh, So these are the same thing. They're doing the same things. When you have the great mother, and she's important, the great mother entering this whole equation, you take that, uh, you take that young boy, Addis, um, and you bring him into a point of uh, burning off all of his mortality, right? It's a process. And this idolatrous process involves a lot of drugs. And I think, Neil, that's one of the areas that people, we can look at texts like this and we can say, oh my goodness, Jesus was a downright um, magus. He was right in this, right in this magus tradition. Neil, why did, why did these magi show up? It doesn't say there are three. These magi, why did they show up um, and say, Brah, your child right here, the one that was just born, we've been following his Asterion. Yeah. And what we're going to do is um, he's going to be the one who bears that vessel. That's straight up mystery. That Christos, that's straight up mystery. There's a group of dudes imposing this upon him from the beginning and giving him drugs. Jesus had drugs from the start. You cannot make these drugs without the two bases that they gave him. They gave him frankincense and myrrh. They gave him frankincense and myrrh. And your preachers can preach all day. Anyone that knows the Orphic tradition, if you have a copy of the the Orphic um, hymns, those two oils are burnt in offering to these pagan deities. You offer frankincense and then you do a hymn to Nyx, the goddess or a hymn to Hercules or something. Those are the two main oils that are burned in the Orphic fragments. That's what you're offering up before you take your incense and you you offer it up to induce. Because we know within the mystery, this is pretty cool, we know from later sources um, through the Neopythagoreans that daimones, demons, function by smell. Right. So the first Christian anti-drug laws are specifically against drugs that are used um, to promote this process, to either drive away the demons or to collect them. So what are the pagans going to do? What, what can they do? Look at, this, look at this. I just flipped to a random page in the Orphic the hymns of Orpheus. Flip to a random page. First thing it says to Vulcan. Yeah. Offer fumigation of frankincense and manna. Yeah, good. 
Oh, they, and this is, and I'm, and I'm adding to what you just said. The point is, when you offered these frankincense and you lit it up and the oil would burn, you're literally the gods are smelling this and they would yeah. come and they would listen to your hymn. It's, and then uh, that's that's how you that's how you contact with the gods in the Greek world. No different in Christianity. Think of it this way: um, there's a place that you can go and you can buy the Smyrna, and um, this a woman puts on and in her vagina and it's a compound drug and what does it smell like it smells exactly like where it is it is a place of bringing forward from death life it is a funk that they use in ritu in right um, that involves the orgasmos right so, yeah, all of this stuff is this is I keep trying to convince people, Neil, that um, the pharmacy in antiquity, as we look at it, we're looking very, uh, very two dimensionally. Um, when you blow it up and look at it and say, look, they they had this idea that comes from the Bronze Age that you can take a person and you can put them under the influence of certain drugs, including venoms, you know, um, bee stings spiders, scorpion stings, um, all of these different venoms that they're using. You can take a person and put them under that influence, right? And kick them into a place called the Eremon, right? Into the desert where they will be forced to deal with Lucifer, right? Where they will be forced in that place. That kingdom is his kingdom. So, yeah. Um, and you uh, mentioned, hold on a second. This is really deep what you just said. Yeah. This is, you mentioned the Magi tradition. In the, in the uh, Zenda Vesta, which is a text that predates the Gospels by a, a long centuries, very much, very old. There's a text where Zoroaster is in the desert and he's roaming the desert and he's rushed by Anger Manu. And yeah. Anger Manu says, if you will renounce the good God, Ahura Mazda, I'll give you the boons to rule all the nations. Yeah. And then Ahura Mazda, or then uh, Zoroaster just starts chanting. And then he makes uh, Anger Manu leave. Yeah. Well, this is what you see in the Gospels with Jesus in the desert being right. tempted by the devil <laughs> who says, if you worship me, I'll give you all, right. I'll give you all the kings and kingdoms of the world. Exactly. This is, like, this is coming from that tradition that you're you talking see about. see how it's part of the mystery yeah. and how it fits in. And you see, oh, this is why they're doing what they're doing. It's our magi that, that, that recite these texts. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of drugs. And um, there are drug texts. I was reading one last month um, about this bites of spiders and what to do and how to treat and what groups are using these types of drugs um and the the pharmacy is complex it's really complex but they are taking the human body and they are turning it into a means of giving drugs to other people so this whole thing about people are shocked when they're like what i'm like look if you were at an ancient riot they're gonna drug you beforehand they're gonna Tie your hands behind your back, restrain your ankles. They're going to sodomize you 
with a, a, an alabastron. It's a device. It's By the way, device. that's also in Mark 14. Yes. That, same chapter. Same chapter that we're discussing with the little boy. But this chapter opens up with the alabaster, which is another yes. mystery, mystery religion term that you see thrown around there. And if you see how people translate it, it's always hilarious, right? I mean, they don't even make sense rationally. He busted the jar and it was, that's how you do it. You break, no. And they're all mad. Remember the other things. Remember, they're all mad because it was, mad about it, it. it was very expensive, expensive, right? What do you think that very expensive stuff is for? That's the stuff that the initiates are using. That's the, that's the hardcore. People don't realize, but they have so many drugs in the ancient world. So many. You can't even talk about arrows without talking the arrow poison that they're using in different parts of the world. They're also getting high off it. But they're taking a person's body and they're turning that person's body into the, the um, producer of the blood, the hyma, which can also be ejaculate. Okay, so when Jesus's face is covered with that sticky stuff, and it says it was his hydros, that it was his originally it looks like sweat, and it turns into what looks like hyma. Yeah, that hyma is used, especially in cult context, to the essence substance. You get the hyma. Zeus gets the hyma when he sucks the the uh, penis of um, the invisible one. <laughs> doesn't this happen with priapus too yeah mm -hmm. and if you get uh, yeah What's no he is that phanes yeah phanes is that priapus the invisible one is that priapus right i mean you said you were going to the wilderness you wanted to go right you took the drug so they've got you and they've got you bound and they've got you in it, um giving it to them and by the way the guy who's writing our letter, whether it's Pseudo Clement or whatever, whoever is writing that letter says there are these dudes who are doing things, very good, who are doing things that are not. They're following the way of Satan into the darkness, he says right here. Those Carpocratians, yeah, too. Yeah, those Carpocratians. And what are they doing? They're doing unspeakable things with the flesh. Deep things. And with, yes. <laughs> puffed up with gnosis. If you actually look at Greek, it says puffed up with gnosis. This yeah. is, this yeah. is and that, so crazy, man. This is, this, we're going deep right and, now. I'm loving this. And, and Neil, you're so, you're even closer than you think with that puffed up because that's the word for being, for bringing us. It's pefusil minnow on page on uh, line five there. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. It's also used for snakes making the noise of a hissing. Yeah. There might be a little bit of terminology that's sneaking in here. These may be a specific group of people. For example, they call the eoboloi ehidnon. Those are the poison throwers of the echidna or the vipers. The vipers are a group, a college of priestesses, and the oboloi are the ones who pour the poison. And by the so, way, these carpocratians are deriving their theology from biblical texts. They're not like, like, like they call they get called heretics later on, and in this text, 
but like they're looking at Jesus as the serpent in the in the desert that Moses held up. And yeah. John, John says, just as just as Moses held up a serpent in the desert, so too shall the Son of Man be lifted up. The Carpocratians, that's central to them. They're yeah. these are and they call themselves, they call them the Ophites, the Nasines. They all they're all snake. Nas yeah. means serpent in Hebrew. Ophite. So these are these are these Gnostics yeah. are getting their theology not just from making stuff up; they're getting it from the Bible, right? Right, and um, he, he is accused of being a mystagogue in that process. The thing that I like about the church, as a classical philologist, I, I can completely ignore them. <laughs> I can right. completely ignore them. You can hit me with antinomian this and. This interpretation of that, it's all bullshit. Because at the time, <laughs> at the time that we have these documents that are talking about this cult activity with Jesus, there are none of these people. They don't exist. Right. right? So if, if we go back to that original context, with you bring up the the Ophites, for example, yeah, the Orphics, that was the snake in the breast. That was their symbol, right? Yeah, that was the snake in the breast. So, and he says, the author of this letter says, hey, um, you know that they're doing these things and these awful things and we cannot, we cannot uh, get involved. And he's like, even if he's saying true stuff, you have to deny, right? There might be a Christian watching right now who's saying, Orphix, that's pagan. That has nothing to do with Christianity. <laughs> well, check this out. Pseudopigrapha. This is all Bible. This is all pseudopigrapha Bible text. There's a whole section just dedicated to the Orphics. In fact, it goes even deeper than that. The Orphics that were living in Alexandria were arguing over who came first, Moses or Orpheus. And then they, if you point to the text of Plato, Plato says Musaeus is the son of Orpheus. And so they're trying to wrestle with this idea that Moses can't be subservient to Orpheus. It's got to be the other way around. And you see this back and forth happening in the first century where people are trying to claim Orpheus as their prophet. But we know the real Orpheus. We know what really or Orpheus was a Dionysian high priest. He was the high priest of Bacchus and the son of Apollo. He was connected, baby. Orpheus is the real deal. He's the poet. He's the bard. He's the prophet telling the future. So you can't... You, the fact that these monotheists in the first century are trying to claim him as the, one of their own, they're... No, you can't do it. No, this is Bacchic. This is, this is Pythagorean. This is... You know what I mean? This is... That's the real source. For those of you... And Kels is so genius. This is why I love Kelsis. He so brilliantly calls out the Christians. You guys are just a degradation of, of the of the real thing. Just a degradation. He's like the real deal comes out of Egypt, and the Christians are they're sibilists. They're, they're but they're they're a degradation of the sibilists. And the sibilin the sibilist religion is the religion of Rome. The sibilin books. If you if you look at the, the the history of the sibilin books, the sibilin books is what guides Rome. And all these wars against Carthaginians, against the Greeks, against whoever. The Sibylline books tells them what to do. Go and import Magna Mater from Phrygia. Bring her into the temple. If you do this, you'll win the war. And they're doing it. And it's it's all documented throughout history. 
third century, second century BCE, you see the Romans following these Sibylline books. And then all of a sudden, third, second century, third century, the common era, all of a sudden these Sibylline books are just Christian now. They're not pagan anymore. They become Christianized. So you see that this tradition, as Kelsus points out, is a degradation of the original pagan rites, these mystery rites. Can I say, can I get an N? Yeah. Whoops. I mean, yeah, I fell out of there. Sorry about that. Am I, am I back? Yeah, you're, you're back. You're, you're, you're good. You're good. Okay. It just my, uh, you know, I was just wanting to say amen. 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 No. Right. And that no. locks it in. That locks it in. I am the amen. I am the amen. All over the world, there are Christians and they're thanking the Lord Jesus Christ for their food. And they're saying, in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Don't realize that they are borrowing a pagan magic ritual in the pronunciation of that name that when they say amen they are induced they are introducing a saturnian or what i would call satanic magical device when jesus says um kingdom of uranos now you know why he talks about the fire coming from uranos because as a pagan, those are your mystery terms. Those yeah. are your mystery terms. Jesus is not making up new stuff. For those of you out, out there who are uh, uh, following the fairy tale of modern Christianity, be it Catholic or Protestant, um, surprise, surprise. Uh, this is not a fairy tale. And Jesus is there using the mystery in his own direction when he sits on the cross and he's yelling out i'm thirsty i'm thirsty i'm thirsty guess what the physicians say this is what happens when you use the horned Af uh, horned north african viper venom this is what you get that's why they called it the dip sauce because it creates this intense thirst not only is jesus arrested with a naked boy but he is on drugs and he's on mystery drugs that we have reams of antidote um, in ancient Greek and Latin, right? We have reams of antidotes for these things. So um, I, the down and dirty picture of Jesus. I mean, Neil, do you think he's like the, the Baptists who are out with their penis-shaped cups and their boys that they take out and baptize? Do you think that's the group he's in and he's just he's just you know flowing with the he's got his racket set up where he's got his naked children right yeah well the that i want to go back to something you just mentioned because the uh the oldest source of the story of moses that we have goes back to an alexandrian priest in the fourth century no i'm sorry third or fourth yeah fourth century bce fourth third century bce sorry uh, during one of the Ptolemy's reigns, and he writes this story about Moses, and it's right. It's supposed supposedly it's right before the Septuagint gets written. Mm -hmm. So we had this story about this, and the guy who writes this story is a pagan, an Egyptian pagan, and he, in some of his texts from the, and, the, and I'm 
Corey's ancient fragments is the text that I'm look that I'm citing here, where he shows this guy is using this term "Hallelujah, Amen" mm. in some of his writings. Plutarch in the first century, the con- second century of the Common Era, he comments on this and he on this exact person, and he says that he cites this person. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, hang on, let me find his name. But anyways, while I'm finding his name, this is what he says about him. He says that the word Amon, the the god Amon, is the king of all the gods of Egypt. He says that when Egyptians call on or uh, call to any of the gods, not just Amon, any of the gods, when they end, when they finish their prayers, or when they when they um, when they look when they when they're um, calling out to one another, they use the term Amon. Amon. And we know that ancient Egyptian and and ancient Hebrew, there is no vowels. Amen. So some people, I'm one of them that this hasn't been decided on by a lot of scholars will say that I'm going on fringe territory now. I don't care because I haven't heard any better explanation of where that term comes from better than what Plutarch says. It's in the text on Isis and Osiris, where he says that word um, Amon is the word that's used to to enchant and to call on any of the gods. So I'm thinking that's your source right there. So when Jesus says I am the amen, you can hear you can hear that he is deep in this thing. It's no wonder that he would want to be called the Christ. And what the Christ was because that is the one within the right who is performing that mystery transformation, right? Oh my God. It's wonderful. Drink of my blood, right? Love it. You know, they were doing that, right? So, so it's not like, uh, it's not like it's out of place. Beautiful. Yeah. Who's, who's, um, who's your (laughs) almond? Right. That term almond. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, I just, it's fascinating though, because and I've only seen a few academics that actually engage with this, uh, verse that Plutarch that I'm talking about from Isis and Osiris and the, uh, the person, that, the person that he cites is the person who writes the story about Moses free Bible, like the, the sept before the Septuagint is put together, this guy's writing stories about Moses. Yeah. And it turns out that he's the guy who cites for this Amon, this Amen thing. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? And uh, I, I'm interested to hear what people think about that. We also have Ololudzo. The verb in Greek, Ololudzo, means to cry out in ecstasy. It can be. A, it's usually like a... Oh, Hecateus. Sorry to cut you off. Hecateus of Abdera. I couldn't yeah. think of the name, but I found it now. There, going back, we're going back to ancient Egypt, you know. Do you know how much it turns me on to have you quote Hecateus of Abdera? That gives me a that gives me hope for the world. I thought we were here to destroy it, you and I as two witnesses, but that gives me hope, bro. And if anybody ever has anything bad um, about you, they can suck it because you serve the muse, man. You bring back Hecateus, you're good. I love it. You want to hear? hear, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I got the, I got the passage from Plutarch right now. Plutarch says, "Moreover, 
The people believe that Amun is the name given to Zeus in the land of the Egyptians, a name which we, with a slight alteration, hold on, we got to pause right there. Amun, with a slight alteration, he doesn't say what it is. It could be Amen. It could be Amzin. He says slight alteration. Okay, remember that. Pronounce Amon. But Manetho of Sebentis thinks that the meaning concealed or concealment lies in the word. Hecateus of Abdera says the Egyptians use this expression, remember the altered form of Amon. So it's not Amon, it's an altered form of Amon. Like, come on, dude, we have a slam dunk right here. Anyway, let me finish this <laughs> off. Uh, Egyptians express that whenever, whenever they call to anyone, for the word is a form of address. When they, therefore, address the supreme God, whom they believe to be the same as the universe, as if he were invisible and concealed, and implore him to make himself visible and manifest, they use the alteration of Amun. So great, then, was the circumspection of the Egyptians in their wisdom, touching that he has to do with all the gods. And, I'm, and I, I've showed this to a couple of different academics, and some of them are like, wow, that's interesting. I think you're onto something. But I've never, it's, it's just nobody, it's like, that's it. It just ends there. Nobody's, just, everybody said, what, what, what does amen mean? Oh, so it means so be it. It means so be it. <laughs> According to who? Because that's, that seems like a later rendition. Show, right. show me an ancient source before the Septuagint or before Christianity where, where someone says that amen means so be it. What is your opinion, Neil? You don't hear that until later. What's your opinion of modern scholars? You've been interviewing them a bunch, and you've I, had a whole, you've I had was, everything from Harvard to to whatever, all over the place. What is your opinion? I don't, I don't want to come off as like some cocky amateur in my in my house. That's not these these are. I have respect for scholars because they put in the work and they are trained, but sometimes they're like this. They only are looking at the thing that they're trained in and they don't realize that some of their stuff is overlapping and some of these stuff, some of these scholars are overlapping with them and some of these scholars are, and they can't see it. That's why me and Derek try to bring these scholars on together. Hey, look, you're looking at this. Hey, you're looking at this. Look, here's two different pieces to a bigger puzzle. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I, I know everything and I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying, I'm just saying my experience was sometimes they can be like that. But I have respect for scholars. I love they're they they're they're brilliant people. All of course, of course. But yeah, and I, I that that's what I'm that's all I'm getting at. I don't. If I can say it, just for your audience. No, yeah, hear, feel free. I don't, to I, I don't have any respect for scholars, especially the ones from the Ivy League. Especially the ones from the Ivy League. And it's not just me that thanks it. I have friends who are professors. You, well, you were a professor. Who feel the same way. Yeah, and that's where I learned it as being a professor and going to international meetings. It's hilarious, Neil. I went to, I went to an international meeting in London, and the London. Uh, I think we got bust up in Newcastle. I can't remember where the actual meeting was, but the London Times came, and of everybody's, they they watched and came to mine and said. This is the last frontier of classics. 
because I was talking about drugs and I was talking about the pharmacological side. And um, I fought for years against these classicists. Look, look at these tags. Somebody just opened this text. You know, classicists mostly refuse to go to the uh, New Testament. I don't know if you've noticed it, but you're uh, religious studies scholars and whatnot. They're not classical philologists. No. Classical philologists do not like to mess with the New Testament because they know, oh, I'm... There's a whole nother group here who thinks they own the water, right? It's like contested waters. And if you go over there, China's going to shoot you with a missile or something, right? So don't go over there. Um, but yeah, Neil, if you can get these people to start looking at, like, I would love to ask, um, why, why does nobody talk about the naked boy? I would love to see you get with somebody from Harvard. Yeah. You know, and just ask them straight out. A naked boy seriously well this is the thing this is what this is the thing about this the god everyone agrees that the gospel of mark is written where there's no there's no extra fat it's the shortest of the gospels it gets straight to the point there is no extra biblical there's no extra and they it was five like there's no extra information everything that mark says has some reason why it's there every every syllable is there for a reason. So the fact that a little boy runs away naked is not just like, eh, we'll just ignore that part, just some extra information. No, 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 no. Mark is saying something here. We need to stop and look at it. What is Mark trying to say? Not only that, not only that, Neil, I think that's a brilliant point, like something that I would expect to, you know, uh, that's what a scholar, you're doing what a scholar would do. They're not doing their job, so you're doing it. You're exactly right about the concision of Mark. I would take it even further and say you've got more evidence because there is a much greater concentration of Orphic mystery terminology in Mark than there is anywhere else. Almost like you can take those areas that have that radiation, that Orphic radiation, and you can see that other authors were saying, oh, um, um, we have to include this, but I'm going to blow it up into something else. Right. You can if you take a purple pen and you outline everything in the Gospels that has to do with the mystery performance, uh, um, you're going to see what's left over is the garbage. Right. It's the it, you can see consistently if there's one thing we can say about Jesus just from an evidentiary standpoint is the dude was way deep in a cult. And he was way deep in a mainstream death and resurrection mystery cult involving drugs and sex. Okay. If there's one thing we can say from all of those purple markers, right? It's, it's that. And I don't know. Do you ever get the sense that your guys in religious studies don't want to look at Jesus, the Magus? Well, you know, I, so this is something that I've, discussed with a lot of people is that in religious studies in particular just in religious studies not in classicists and not in, and not in fallout a lot of people a lot of american biblical studies is steered by the seminaries mm-hmm. by the churches yeah. by the evangelical the, the, right. the thd right. people not the right. phd the thd people yes. the theology degree people yeah. they're guiding the ship of biblical scholars in a lot of ways they are. I'm not saying that they have all the control. 
I'm not saying that it's some there's like a conspiracy to you know keep Christianity af- afloat, but I will say that there is a lot of influencing by people with an agenda, and it's my personal opinion. Free, feel free to disagree in the comments, but I, that's how I see it right now. Do you think they've this is something new, or you think they've been doing this kind of crap for the last I don't know maybe sixteen sixteen hundred years or? Somewhere, yeah. around, somewhere around the time that Julian, the emperor, whom we both loved, right? Neil's a huge Julian fan, right? So am I. When that Christian soldier threw that spear into his back fighting over there with the Parthians. That was the what? Well, you were telling me just the other day about the oracle. When I made that video about Julian and I got to that part in his story. I had to take a stop and take a right. Like this changed history for the worst, in my opinion. <laughs> Because yeah. Julian was trying to bring back that metropolitan Roman world where every city has their own God and every everyone has the right to re- worship their own God in their own way. And why did it take another th- 1,500 years to get back to that? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's And by the way, out of all people to rebuild and bring the Jews back to Jerusalem to where their temple is, he's yeah. the one that was going to do it. Julian was the last person that said Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. And all the way up to 1948, no one did that. No Christian emperor, no Christian emperor ever left, ever wanted to give Jerusalem back to the Jews. They wanted it for themselves. But Julian decided, was someone who understood that religion is personal. Yeah. And so that he, he's a hero, in my opinion. He, we really lost a lot when Julian was taken down. So... Do you think that has anything to do with the whole idea that they found Bacchic implements inside the temple and that temple practice had become a, you know, there's a reason Plutarch, the priest of Apollo, says Judaism is Bacchic worship. And then he starts to talk about it in table talk, right? Then we lose the rest of the document. As soon as he, he gets past the, he explains the pomegranates, he explains, starts explaining the temple and the, what the priests are wearing and how it's all bacchic. You know what I think? <laughs> you know what I think? I, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, like we're talking about these academics who they, they'll read this passage by Tacitus and this is nonsense. But I think, I think Tacitus is onto something because you have this God, Sabatios. Mm-hmm. Sabatios is identified as a form of Bacchus, mm-hmm. but the, there, there, some people have pointed out that Sabatios might be related to he's the god of the Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. So you had this Sabbath god who's like Bacchus, but a little bit more, a little different, a little more, you know, a little more institutional. And mm-hmm. there's, there's the, it's quite possible that Yahweh has some links to Sabatios. It's a Phrygian father god. You know, he's like a Zeus. He's like a Saturn. He's like Yahweh. He's, Yahweh, so Yahweh of the Sabbath might be the Sabatios. There might be some connection there. That's all I'm aren't, saying. Aren't they always trying to run out people? They're like, pull down that temple where all the sex stuff goes on and stuff like that. And they're trying to change. I don't understand. It seems like that's um, what the, inner, the, the inner mysteries are when, when, you, the, when you get deeper into any religion, the inner mysteries is always something like some phallus or something, some in the middle of a temple or the Holy of Holies is supposed to be, there's the phallus, you know, the, the, the sacred. There's a reason, you know, there's a reason we need the Virgin, right. And all of the, all of the 
imagery around the um, the virgin mother people think the virgin mother started with mary it doesn't it doesn't right N neither does her power to carry the purple the the nurse that stuck her fingers into mary's vagina on the coptic side pulls out the burning purple it burns her hands right there's some transfer you know you were talking about sibyls and you were talking about uh rome and how important rome is that roman mystery is the foundation that's why you look at the apocalypse and you see rome right the the uh, the seven hills are there for a reason it's because they developed the mystery and numa is taking it from this girl named egeria who apparently lives for a thousand years but looks like she's a teenager the whole time and he takes those books and he buries them right when he dies he's like she told me everything the future of the city of rome what would happen and it was huts you know I mean, it was nothing well it was more than huts but um and they buried those books right and on his instructions at his death they dug them up years later took them to the senate the senate was like oh my god we have to get rid of these things <laughs> so when the christians come along and they're calling them civilists you know it's those traditions are not there's a there's a reason for peter and rome Right. You know what I mean? And it's a mystic reason. It's a mystic reason. And it goes right back to Jesus getting arrested with that kid. It's not odd. Heracles has one, right? God himself has one. He's got his boy. You know, they talk about in that dirty poetry that you were talking about. They talk about what it is to pull a Ganymede. That means to drink out of a boy's anus. The nectar. Yeah. yeah. I read that. I saw that it go from straight toe. <laughs> and this is like, these were like popular porn, basically. It's like the ancient version of porn. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they were. And that, that's the imagery is like Zeus and Ganymede and Apollo and Hyacinth. And there's a lot of that going on. It's just, that's the, this is what we, this is the context that I think should be mandatory for people to realize before they even look at these texts. Yeah. And look what you've done too. Every, your audience should appreciate the fact that you have not had the benefit of a Harvard education, yet you are able to swim those currents and access that information. And now you're, you're, you're going beyond where they're capable of going. And uh, that's, you know, that's amazing. I would have you in as uh, uh, my trench warrior anytime any time the sources don't lie yeah and here's the thing even if the sources are wrong even when herodotus tells a story that might not be true there's yeah. something the story tells us something about the time right so when, right. when herodotus is saying that there's one-eyed men and gold guarding griffins living in the north where the hyperboreans are that might not be a true statement but it tells us of how the greeks thought of the scythians they thought of it as a magical fairyland up there, and it was dark, and those forests were scary, and there was monsters creeping out of it. That's how the Greeks thought of the, the north. Herodotus captures that. That's why I'm saying even the, the primary sources, even if they're not true, they're, they tell us more about the context of the time than any modern theory can tell us. There's a, there's a dragon that guards a tree. 
Everybody knows about him. It's in the Grove of Mars. And on the tree hangs a skin, right, of a ram. And on it is written the sacred song, right? That's the sibilations. They're all captured there. And that dude walks around. He's blind, first of all. But he walks around with poison that he can spit. He can use on arrows. He can do whatever he wants. And if you get near it, He'll kill you immediately. The Greeks couldn't conquer. They went to they went to Troy with all their big fights, and we know about Bronze Age combat. We can put the Limnian steel up here, you know, hearkening back to the Bronze Age with the combat. Yeah, but what's really what's really courageous? What's really courageous? It's Odysseus with his arrow poison, having Circe put him into a death state. And you didn't know that. You're like, what? That's not part of the of the Odyssey. Yes, it is. It, he it, Cersei, like Jesus, turns a bunch of soldiers into pigs. Right. She raises from the dead. Did you know she says? John Tzitzi says, in Lycophron is indicating the resurrection of um, uh, Odysseus. Odysseus right. is Jesus a long time, a millennium before Jesus was millennium. He was the hero of the Greeks. That's what everybody thought of. He was the example. He and was what you're getting at is so true. And uh in fact Derek Lambert was in the chat. I saw he he left a comment asking if you've seen um Dennis McDonald's uh Dennis McDonald's so Dennis McDonald put together all of the mimesis from Homer that's in the gospels. And so I want to just give you one example, just uh, just to get your reaction. It's about Cersei, too, by the way. And I just want to, if you don't mind, I just want to get your reaction. You're, I, I think you really appreciate this. I really do. I really think you will. So Dennis McDonald put this together. Look at this. Can you read this or no? I'll read it to you if you, if you can't see it. Yeah, no, I got it. Odysseus and his crew sailed to the land of the Cyclopses and of Cersei. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. All right, so we have two people, two different stories, people sailing. You're like, all right, that's not a big deal. But let's look at the sequence here. On the mountains of the Cyclopses, innumerable goats graze. Circe turns soldiers into swine. On the mountain, and now back to Mark, on the mountain, a large herd of swine grazed. Okay, Odysseus and his crew disembark. Jesus and his crew disembark, the same Greek word. They encounter a savage, lawless giant who lived in a cave. Jesus encounters a savage, lawless demoniac who lived among the caves. Polyphemus usually was depicted nude. The demoniac was nude. Now, Circe recognizes Odysseus and asks him not to harm her. Swear an oath, Orkon, not to plan another plot to hurt me. The giant asks Odysseus intended to harm. The demoniac recognizes Jesus and uses that same root word, Orchidso, right? Is that how you say it? Orchiko? Yeah, Orchizo, yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. You not not to torment me. So we have all right, so we have these the sequence of events is lining up here. Let's keep going. The giant asked Odysseus his name. Jesus asked the demoniac his name. Odysseus answers, Nobody is my name. The demoniac answers Jesus, Legion is my name. Odysseus subdues the giant with violence and trickery. Circe's magic turned Odysseus's soldiers into swine. Jesus 
subdues 2,000 demons with divine power and sent them into the swine and drove the swine into a lake. It's just, this is lining up perfectly. Polyphemus the shepherd calls out to his neighbors. The swine herds call out to their neighbors. The cyclopses come in the site asking Polyphemus for stolen sheep. The garrisons come to the site to find out about their swine. Odysseus and his crew embark. Jesus and his crew embark. And Odysseus tells the giant to proclaim that he had blinded him. Jesus tells the healed demoniac to proclaim what God had done for him. Now, this is just so... It's, it's, the, it's the same story being retold through a different lens, through a different time, through a different character, Odysseus and Jesus. You also had the idea of Jesus' feet being anointed by uh, Eurycleia. Jesus' feet are being anointed by Mary, and then he says to her, your, your fame will be told far and wide, which Eurycleia, the girl who anoints Odysseus' feet, that name Eurycleia in Greek means fame far and wide. Right, right. Jesus Claire. is literally putting a pun on the name. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's too much. It's too good. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, no, I get a big kick of that out of that. I like to stay in the shallower waters that are just linguistic. So I'm right. thinking of I'm thinking about his use of the verbs there. I'm not impressed with the boarding and the turn of phrases that are the same. I can do that with a whole bunch of text. It doesn't mean they're related. But the content of the progression of the narrative is you have to, I have to agree. There's, there's a lot of overlap there. It's, not, it's the seek. It's the yeah. sequence of the, the events that line up. What they're if not, they're not scattered? They're lined up the sequence. You know what I mean? What if Neil, there's also a connection with the, um, for example, Jason, right? Jason. Neil. Yeah. His name is Iason. It is. I keep telling people this. It is the name Jesus. And they it don't, is. Because they want to say, no, it's Joshua. And I want to say, no, because you, this name is part of a religious rite that predates. It goes all the way back to Mycenae. It's a Bronze Age rite, right? So it's not coming from the Hebrew. It can't be. There is none. And, 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 and to, to add to what you're saying, they're both, both of the roots of the, those words have to do with healing. Right. Jason Healer. Right. Yahshua, even Yahshua in Hebrew, has to do with healing. So they're both, both of these words are coming from a common source. I think that's what that Pulaskian is. I right. think that, I don't think it's that the Jews didn't have it. I think it's that just like the Egyptians, the Egyptians had absorbed it from 3000 BC. Mediterranean language. Right? So all, all overlapping, all the Mediterranean languages. And Neil and I are not just making up these Pulaskians. These are a real people. And the Georgians will tell you these are the early Georgians from you know anyway. Um, good no, stuff. After good. the Bronze Age collapse, it's the Pelasgians that are populating the Mediterranean. It it makes you think if there's some kind of movement, some of those migrations cause that sudden change in the population. I don't know because the I mean, why are they calling them autochthonous, right? Why is everybody referring to them as the original people? When we talk about Jewish migration, that's not unusual, right? It's we watch, we sit down, Neil, and we watch our our uh, Charlton Heston every Easter. We're about to have him come out, and for all I know, he's doing it tonight. And he's spreading his arms, and he's making the sea part, right? We're moving these people, right? Guess what? These migrations happen all the time. 
right? So this is a dynamic of the world. It wasn't that Jehovah is Jewish, right? This is coming through. When Jehovah tells Moses, he's like, set up this tent. You're going to go in this tent. My voice will be there. Boom. It's a telestarian. voice of God, right? Right. Um, he's he's working from tradition. He's not bringing them out ex nihilo. That's what I'm saying. This this was a the way they the way Leviticus just prescribes how the priest is supposed to come in and you know sacrifice the bull and sprinkle the the blood seven times on the altar. These are straight from the ancient pagan world on how to get an oracle from a different god, any god. Yeah, whatever yeah, god yeah. it is, you set up their tent, you set up their their uh their their oracle with with the with the altar, the mm-hmm. same way. So yeah. the way the way they're worshiping Jehovah is no different than somebody in Phrygia is worshiping Sabazios or and, somebody in the in Libya worshiping Amon. They're all that, doing it. They're all doing it the same way. Yes, and that Neil is what this letter of pseudo Clement mentions. It says they're showing them the autotone. That's that space that you're trying to preserve for the oracle. You're performing the mystery, right? So I don't know why Christians um, don't put more value in actually looking at what their texts are saying, right? right? Rather than reading everything through the last 16, well, the last 1800 years. Yeah. Of of Christianity, they're, they're afraid of being like a pagan. Yeah, like why? Yeah. That's if you want yeah. to do religion, do it right. Yeah, these yeah. are these are ancient traditions that are going back to before we had writing, and it's the same. It's the same traditions, you know, evolving basically, yeah. evolving over time. So, what are you scared of? It's the same. It's you're just following the history, you know. I would love to tell every Christian in the group if I could address every. Christian out there and tell them I've been to the text and I can tell you there is no such thing as eternal life. It does not exist. What Jesus himself promised was ionic life and ionic life is a place within the operation of the mystery. So he was saying, Straight up, you get the same phrase in the Orphic. Uh, what is that? That papyrus, divert, divining papyrus, and says, and yeah, I proclaim ionic life. Orpheus yeah. says it, mm-hmm. it's the ion, right? And Christians don't get that because they hear just through an accident of history and the translating. And it, it wasn't so accidental because the church fathers had a lot of pull on how the how we'll set our doctrine and our ideas. And as soon as you get doctrine and ideas, you're you're excuse me, you're live, so I'm not going to be rude about it, but you're in a bad place. Your vision is obscured from the actual evidence cuz that's what we get in the actual evidence. So, um, there's no salvation, right? There is the soter. There is the soteria. And the first soteria is described in the Orphic hymns to this female divinity who is a virgin mother, right? So you can see how the Orphics would be able to grasp She's also, she's also the light bringer, the Luciferia. Exactly, right? The light bringer, which is what they call Diana 
up in the Crimea. People were like asking the other day on the channel, where's the Diana of Nemus? Where is she from? And Italy and all that next, you know, we're talking about the lake and all that kind of stuff. All this stuff is coming from that Diana who lives in the Crimea. And she has the right of sacrifice. Any stranger that washes ashore, she kills them. She kills them in a right. Why? Because she was killed in a right. They're perpetuating the same priesthood. So, and for those of you who are Christians, the mystery is not a question. It's not a secret. The mystery is an operation right. that these religions are doing. It is a practice. So when you hear mystery and Paul the Apostle is talking about mystery, you are not hearing what they were saying. I tell this to my seminarians every year because I feel bad, feel bad for the Christians. I tell them, I say, you have not read the Bible. You think you have, but you have not. Neil knows that once you start looking at the Greek, then it all of a sudden opens up. And, and I'm not talking about the stuff that comes canned out of a seminary. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about the stuff that you need that will allow you to read ancient medical texts or this. ancient epics or anything like that. This is Callimachus, this is mm -hmm. written around the same time as the Septuagint was translated, right? Yeah. So it's that Alexandrian third century BCE Greek. And in here, there's a hymn to Artemis. So this is, we're talking about this. And it says, our, she is quoting her saying, I want to be a virgin forever and let me be light bringer, Luciferia. Mm -hmm. The virgin light bringer, Soteria. The savior, virgin, light bringer. All these tropes that you see with the Christ. It's already being applied to these other gods way before Diana, who's Artemis, is a savior, virgin goddess. It's just, this is all, this, this, is, it's, this is the way religion is done. Christianity didn't just pop up out of nowhere and start this new thing that no one's heard of before and no one's done. This is, the, this is business as usual. Nothing different is going on here, just... This became the religion of the West, became the Roman Empire's state religion. So everybody thinks it's special now. But like it could have been any, it could have been any of these any of these traditions that made it that way. You know? They called it the way. They call it the way, Neil. Oh don't. Oh don't. Yep. Uh, yeah. And that's what when you're walking it, when you're engaging that mystery. You understand, and it puts you in a place where when he said soteria, when he said salvation, people would have understood, right? And then what's really creepy, what's really creepy, Neil, think about this, that letter says that there are certain things that we have to deny, right? Certain things we have to deny. I don't want you telling people. When Jesus is talking, preaching, you, you get your funny Western vision of him standing on the hill in his sheet. Right. And he's not like this. And he's like, my people, you know, blessed are the meek. Right. Um, wait a minute. Is this the same Jesus who walks around speaking in analog so that people won't understand what he's saying? It's not so that they will. Jesus didn't walk around saying, I'm going to give you an example. 
it's a metaphor for you to figure out, right? So it'll further explain what I'm saying. He doesn't say that. It says he purposely kept them. It's so that the people who are outside, those who are not initiated, remember, he is a mystagogue. The letter says, Jesus, the mystagogue. It's in there. So what do we, you know, um, he, he fits the profile perfectly. And the, and you got the hero fan thing too. Yeah. yeah. Like all the titles that he's getting in the Revelation, the author of Revelation calls him Lucifer. Yeah. Calls him the, the son of the morning, the dawn. That's he's, Lucifer. Right. He's the morning star. He's the morning star. He's getting all the same titles. He's getting all these mystery religion titles. Yeah. Yeah. So if he is, and if, you know, in the book of Revelation, a lot of Christians don't realize it, but in the book of Revelation, he's wearing a woman's nighty. He's wearing a bra that is um, uh, made for a woman. And it says it's around his breasts. And it's the Greek word for the feminine breasts. Has it been used for males before? That's where people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But the thing that he puts around them, that that it's usually translated as girdle, that's a part of his kit that is the Morning Star's kit. And the Morning Star is originally a woman. The Morning Star is originally Urania. And so if Urania, the Morning Star, has this kingdom, and the word Urania there is the word for heaven, Right, she is the one in charge of the heavenly kingdom. Jesus is just taking that machinery yeah. and bringing it to himself. Does it make sense then that he has to be with the naked boy at 4 a.m.? Yeah, because he's deriving an antidote for a cup that apparently at the time he doesn't want to take. He knows how crazy this is, what they're doing. Right? Yeah, like, that's, he says that in the same chapter. He says, Take this cup away from me. Yeah. No one knows what he's talking about. It's, just, <laughs> it's all there in chapter 14. You just brought it back full circle to me. Yeah. All, all the language is there. Yeah. So uh, if you were some, if you were an Alexandrian initiate in the first century and someone brought this text Mark to you, you're reading 14, you would, you would know exactly what this is. You would say, I know what's going on here. There wouldn't be this big question. Like we're here today in 2023. No, no, no. The, the 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 Greek ear of the first century would know what this is. They would understand and, right away. And if you weren't in the group, you weren't initiated, maybe you weren't one of those boys that went through the process, but you were on the outside and you knew this is a thing about hearing, you know, and there's code. And you saw Romans coming into Alexandria, arresting Christians for taking little kids off the street. Right, they're arresting Christians for abducting and abusing children. Right, if you didn't have ears to hear, you'd be like those cultists. Right, <laughs> you'd know, you'd know this is part of the deal. And people don't realize my religion, the religion that I'm trying to replace my democracy with its theocracy, that is built upon pederasty it is built upon dudes getting arrested in public parks at 4 a.m and saying why are you coming at me with all the weapons i'm not dealing any kids here <laughs> dude that's such that's exactly what it is man that's crazy yeah yeah somebody actually uh 
super chatted before you even brought up the secret mark. Chat GPT, thanks for the super chat. It's the same kid from the secret gospel of Mark. This is before you even brought that up. So kudos to Chat GPT for being on it like that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. But um, yeah, this was draw. Oh, Snappy. Oh, thank you for the super chat. Love you guys. Please talk about what happens in the sacred groves. Amon gives us the mystery. All the best. This is what it's all about. Because we're because we didn't even mention this. We're in the sacred grove to begin with. This chapter, they go to Gethsemane. That's a sacred grove. I've been there. I've been to Israel. I went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what's right next to it? A giant cemetery. It's a sacred grove. You don't a, a sacred grove is a garden next to a cemetery. Period. They're in the sacred grove. And, and Snappy is onto something here because mystery cults perform their rites oftentimes in a sacred grove. Yes, and that Timonus, that right, that Timonus, that place that you cut, it's literally the place that you cut off from the what we would call the secular um, world, right? It's the place where that divinity and all those places they have some source. Or some power. It's usually like a spring. When Numa, whose name, if you were to write it in Etruscan, would say Amen. When Numa um, went to his meetings with Egeria, the thousand-year-old um, uh, purple-using Etruscan Wates priestess, who they say came uh, anyway, divine. They talk about a divinity. When he, when he was doing his thing, it's the same process, right, that they're entering into. And that power, he goes to, he, he goes to Egeria at a sacred place, at a, um, a, a place with a, fountain, a little spring, right? A garden. It's sometimes described as a garden. Yeah, and it still exists. We have the the niche in Rome where this was, um, gorgeous, love it. It's it, uh, but yeah, he's there in this cemetery. Notice every time he's getting caught is in the cemetery. Even Cyprian, yeah, comes stumbles out of the cemetery with the it says the venom coming out of his bottom, out of his anus, right? Those places, those burials, you know those those um wild centers right yeah, yeah. This, this garden of gethsemane is a real you know it's a real place to hang out with with naked boys i mean that's so this is know. this is me when i was in israel i took got some footage of the garden and there's christians flocking around obviously christians from all over the all over the world flocking here that's in supposedly in, in a thousand year old tree or whatever but I was more interested in, I want to know what's going on inside this church right next to it. They build right next to it. It's a Catholic church they got. And sure enough, they have the image of the arrest. Right in the middle of the church is the image of the arrest. They had the different scenes going on. There's him sitting there. And then look, they have, there's there's the arrest right there. Is that And there's your, there's your boy right there. So this is, this they got this place in they have a church built all based on chapter 14. It's and then all the scenes of chapter 14 are on the walls in the church. How come so, that kid's not naked, Neil? He's supposed to be naked. You know, you know they would never that's that's revealing. That's probably in the that's probably in the back room. They probably have that going on. 
That's the inner mystery. <laughs> See how powerful it is? If you control the text and you control the information, you can tell anybody anything you want. Neil, you were telling me the other day, you were saying, hey, there's this Antikythera thing, this computer thing that the yep. Greeks were working out. And then tons of dark ages that follow it. You know, it makes you wonder. I think I just want to bring up your point. Oh, that, let me let me let me add to what you're saying right now. Check this out. So I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to go over here. And because, no, this is such a good point. Antikythera mechanism. OK, look at this. This is a hand-powered analog computer that used to predict astronomical positions and eclipses decades in advance. Okay? This was received from a shipwreck, and it's dated to the 3rd century BCE. Okay, 2nd century BCE, sorry. All, all I'm saying is, if this is what the Greek world was producing with paganism at the helm, why is it that it took... A uh, two thousand years after Christianity rose out and became the central culture, as you will, where knowledge is considered evil. Let's go right to Genesis one. The tree of knowledge is evil. You know, it's better to just worship and pay pay your your ten percent and you know you know give all of our resources to the church and let the church guide us through the as the light in the darkness. That was the way that people lived in Western society for 1,500 years. And there was no, no one building computers. They were already doing this before that. So I'm, I'm arguing that Christianity kind of held the world back a little bit. Might, I, might, might disagree? Go ahead. You feel free to disagree all you want. That's my personal opinion, is that I think there would be a lot quicker advancements if we let if the metropolitan way continued that makes sense yeah we certainly wouldn't have been putting guys like galileo in prison and whatnot um and that's what i don't get neil why why does the modern american audience not understand that this thing that you relish and that you celebrate and worship and love because you know you do democracy you love this thing called democracy and you don't realize it didn't come from Christianity. Christianity overthrew democracy, its spirit across the world. Christianity yeah, suppressed. It was a thing back in the fourth century Athens, fourth century BCE Athens. It was a, it was a literally literal democracy, more, de more democratic than we are now. Yeah. It's radical. It's radical, right? When you are there and, and you have the ability to make the choice that you don't have somebody telling you, this is your God, right? The Athenians were like, screw everything. We're worshiping a virgin and people are free. People are free here. And people said, debate. Oh, well, what, to what degree did they have freedoms? Forget you. The fact yeah, is, you're missing were, the point. You're missing the point. They were, this, they were this. fighting for that freedom, and that freedom is the same thing. You find it again in this letter of Pseudo Clement. He talks about the eleutheria that is part of the mystery, that complete, unassailable freedom, and that thing is always Bacchus is always protecting the virgin. There's a reason, and Athens is where that first theater is. People don't realize it. There are no Christians that invented the theater. 
They didn't, doesn't happen, will never happen, right? It was the Greeks who worshiped the Virgin, who came up with democracy, who had the theater constructed. And it was just a place to land the Bacchic procession. It was just a place to land the Bacchic procession. That's where we get democracy. So when anybody stands up today and tells you God has blessed the USA, um, no, no, the Virgin, right? The Virgin yes. has blessed us. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We need exactly. to preserve that. We need to preserve that. Yeah. Could this have been a Paul teaching because Paul was more of a mystery teaching than Joshua? Mark traveling with Paul. It's interesting. The thing, it's interesting. Um, maybe. I'm not really. That's What do you think? Do you have any opinion on that? I, I, that's I'm going to. Neil, I'm going to be super rude, but you know my contract with the devil. I can't discuss. I'm going to take a break and head yeah, no, out. Take a break. Take a break. I'm let you because I understand. Hey, everybody who's out there, no criticism. I understand this is part of what, um, how this runs is a way to feed Neil and to keep his, his uh, journalism because this is better than this is not just YouTube show. You, you know, this is journalism that you're doing. This is historical journalism. I'm going to give you a chance to uh, to answer all of your... Uh, yeah, take a break yeah. and come back. And Yeah, you're fine. I'll be back. I'll be back. All right. So, um, now this is a good question, Duran. I, I thought... Because, I, yeah, Paul, he has a lot of... The way Paul is interacting with the world that he's living in is he is extending his hand to the pagan world and saying, you know, if you're, if you're with a people in a crowd and they're offering a, you know, they're offering to, you know, meat sacrifice to idols, who cares? We're all Romans here. Let's, let's chill. Let's, let's relax. So yeah, you might be onto something there. This might be a Pauline thing for all we know. I'm not sure. The question is how much is the gospel of Mark connected to, Paul and maybe there's a big connection maybe there isn't that's that's where the question is so that's what I would look into that's a good question though I, I've I never thought about that how much is Mark taking from Paul good question actually really good question because we all it's it's already established that Mark comes after Paul so your your question is 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 spot on it deserves to be uh, explored for sure. Uh, let's see. The next one is from Evangelicals Never Lie with a giant super chat. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate this. Thank you. That that you did not have to do that, and I appreciate it. And I really, really, I can't even say how much I appreciate it. Been a while since I bought you don't, since I bought you don't pissed. Wait, hold on. Am I reading this right? Been a while since I bought you Don't Pissed. Great stuff, dude. Very interesting. Well, I appreciate it so much. I really I can't even... Words cannot describe how much I appreciate this. And, uh, yeah. I, you, you, and like, like I almost said before he left, this you're the reason why I'm allowed to be doing this and drop daily videos. And I'm trying to keep up that pace. It's just I'm just working... And, you know, these the days when I go live are actually my days off from putting together, like, edited content. 
So the next video I have coming out next, um, before I get to the next super chat, I just want to show you guys the next video. I'll give. I'll, actually, I'll show you my um, thumbnail. That's what I'll do. I'll show you the thumbnail. The thumbnail for my next video. Wait, do I even have it? Um, maybe I don't have it with me. But uh, anyways, the next video I'm doing is about Lucifer. How does Lucifer become Satan? You're probably asking, what do you mean? Satan is Lucifer. No, 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 no. Lucifer started off as a totally different thing. It's from the Roman religion side. Lucifer is a not, is Lucifer is a, the, a male version of Venus. How does Lucifer become Satan? And how does Lucifer become the devil? How does Satan become the devil? All of that. There's a there's a three different questions that are being asked. These aren't the same. Satan is in, in the in there's a Jewish context of Satan being the accuser. There's also this root word of set. There's also this different devil characters. There's also underworld gods like Pluto and Hades. And then there's Lucifer, who's a light bringer, who's not evil at all. And then you also have fallen gods that get in trouble, like Prometheus. You have Apollo getting in trouble and falling down to earth and being... So you have these different traditions. And um, that's my next video coming out next. How does Lucifer become the devil? And... uh Cthonius is, is, this is the last super chat I'm on, so you don't have to, you can chill for this one. Cthonius says, is G if Jesus would have succeeded, what would have happened to the boy Ganymede or sacrifice or initiate? Would he have been holy? Wow. Cthonius. Cthonius is going deep into the mysteries. I know Cthonius personally, and this is someone who really, really likes to study this stuff, so. Um, yeah, if, if Jesus would have happened to the boy Ganymede or sacrifice or initiate, would he have been holy? Yeah. Right. Isn't that how that works? I'm guessing Christine Wilson. Thanks for the super sticker. Appreciate you so much. Appreciate you so much. I'm on. What do you think about all this? I just came back to the devil. I heard you talking about the devil and I love it, Neil. I love that's, it. That's the video that I'm coming out with either tomorrow. Oh, let, me, let me say, actually, let me say this. It won't be ready by tomorrow morning, but it might be ready by tomorrow evening. If not by tomorrow evening, the next, the, the, the 20, the 21st in the morning, Tuesday morning, that video will be done. Promise that. And it's when does, when does Lucifer become the devil? And it's, it's a deep, I'm going deep into this one because it's, 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 it's there's a, there's a lot of explaining to do. It's not simple. Yeah. Bring the dawn, brother. Bring the dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Dawn, Love it. People are shocked when they find out that Venus, you know, is the devil. People are kind of shocked at first. I don't know. You get down there and she's got a skirt on, right? And you may think one way. You may have been taught one tradition. But when you get down there, that devil, and realize as you lift up that Mediterranean short skirt, there is a large penis there. This yeah. is this is Venus, the mother of the Roman people. 
right? It's fantastic. Oh, and, and to go even deeper than that, because you know how in 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 the Greek religion, when you have two gods that 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 mates have sex, whatever, and create an offspring, God. Oftentimes, those two it's it's there's a, there's a reason for the genealogy. You have two different priesthoods coming together. Venus and Dionysus yeah. have an offspring. Mm-hmm. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah, go for it. Sing this, it, brother. This is one of the most important mystery religion gods of the ancient world, and it's Hermaphrodite. So it's no, no. Is it Hermes? I'm sorry. Is it Hermes and Aphrodite? Not not Bacchus. Yeah, uh, Hermes and Aphrodite. Yeah, create a god named Hermaphrodite. Yeah. Hermaphroditus. Hermaphroditus. I'm sorry. Okay, uh-huh. thank you. And uh-huh. this is this was a very important deity in the ancient world of the mystery religions because you're bringing together these these. You have the angelos. The word angel comes from angelos, messenger. Hermes was the logos. He was the word of Zeus, the messenger. He was an angel. He was the angelos. And he creates with Aphrodite, who's Venus, the Luciferia, the light bringer, this goddess, Hermaphroditus. So do you have this important genealogies happening in the Greek? in the Because the, there's a deeper meaning behind this stuff. Like, for example, Thanes, this is this is gonna get crazy right now. You're what I'm about to say is about to get crazy. Thanes is the is the uh the the primordial being that comes from chaos. He's the beginning, he's the he's the the highest god there is. And then from Thanes, you get Eros and Nyx. What is this? What is this? Come on, don't just jump out like that. Tell us what did Zeus do? To Phanes, what did he do to him? It's in the Orphic, in the Orphic fragments. Remember that you were looking at? Yeah, he blow he 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 blows him. Yes, yeah. I was I was getting there. I was getting there. Oh, you're gonna get. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no, That's what I'm saying. Phanes. So there's there's weird there's this secret mystery religion language about Phanes where they'll say. Phanes is Bacchus, or Bacchus is Phanes. And then they'll say, this is in the Derveni Papyrus, by the way, that Zeus was there from the beginning. Okay, that's weird. He's the the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Oh, that's weird. Then it says that Phanes is Priapus. So, like, any normal person's scratching their head going, what's going on here? Why is... Why are all these gods the same person? Why are they all mixed together? Well, it's because that original light that came out of chaos, which is Phanes, when when Phanes gives birth to the next generation and it goes down to Saturn or to Aranos, who is the heaven god, then to Saturn, then to Zeus, then to Bacchus. And then Bacchus has a child with Venus, who's Priapus. They all have that spark of Phanes within them. So when Zeus is the beginning and the end, they're talking about Phanes. When 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 Priapus is being called Phanes, when Bacchus is being called the divine child, the savior, the king of all the universe, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that was the title for Saturn. That's because they all had the spark of Phanes in them. And that's deep right there. That's what that means. 
It's you, Jehovah, but I'm so hot now, Neil. I'm so hot. You just brought up Jehovah. And it's just, it's like, oh, let's look at him and see and see him for what he is. You know what I mean? He's sucking the idoion, right? That Zeus goes in and sucks that idoion, right? It doesn't, it, you know, don't let it surprise you. All these tiring gods are subservient, subservient to the 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 fanies the the primordial chaos yeah. the light and the darkness the light bringer the lucifer that's they're all subservient to that they're always bound to fail people don't realize the poles are flipped right and the good guy who brings you reason and doesn't lie to you is the one that you're saying is the devil right when it's your jehovah who is destined to fall. And this goes back to this. Even the Sumerians told that Anki, Anki's the one, Anki's the one who tells Artahasis that Anu is going to wipe all you out. You better build an ark. This is the story you get with Deucalion. Instead of Anki, it's Prometheus. Prometheus is the savior. He tells the humans how to survive because Zeus is a tyrant who's going to kill you all. He doesn't like you guys. Zeus doesn't want any humans to live. He's going to kill everybody. Build a boat. Take your wife with you. And you can. Sur- and I'll tell you how to survive. And I'll tell you how to t- eat from the tree of knowledge and become like a god. That's the side. You. That's the good side. That was the father of the Sybil. Yeah. Yes. Who did that. And Pelascus was her brother. Ew. We're going back prehistory. It's in the genealogy. Not, <laughs> that, no, but this is what's so brilliant about the Greeks. Yeah. Is that in these myths, they're they're writing, they're telling they're giving us like not only scientific treatises about like Big Bang and like I'm not saying Big Bang, but like there's like these little scientific treatises injected in the text, but they're also telling history that the the Pelasgians, the the um in the genealogy of these gods is this genealogy of historical tribes that existed in the Mediterranean world and they're and they're preserving it in the myths brilliant it's brilliant stuff it really is you gotta you gotta hand it to the Greeks brilliant they really were just amazing at preserving history in the myths now historians and scholars can look at these myths and say oh shoot they're telling the story about the Pelasgians coming out of the Black Sea region after a flood and, and populating the world. That's what they're doing. They're telling that story. That's why whenever I read ancient texts, I focus on the material evidence. Just show me the dildos. Show me the drugs. Show me the purple anuses. You know <laughs> what I mean? Show me the, yeah, no, show me the. It's all there. It's all in the text. You're show not, me the kids cutting their testicles off and throwing them into the home where they have to get all the clothing from because they're going to be dressed like girls from now on that's in the right right, that's in the mystery religion of the phrygians to look at their identity i guarantee you blood march 25th every year they would initiate new eunuch priests to take care of the temple of of kybele and they had they had to mimic what addis did and castrate themselves and then throw their testicles into the house next to them. Whoever ever caught that testicle had to go. They, they, it was their duty to bring the clothing out, right? Tell them. Yeah. Yeah. 
let's let me let's run this by. I'm a eunuch priest. I just capture myself. I throw my <laughs> testicles into your house. Yeah. Now, what does that mean to you? It, it means I got to make sure that you look nice. I've got to provide you with some good clothing. It is it's my religious duty to do it. I don't care if you've got any daughters or not. Right. This is a something. It's a religious duty. It's a sacred thing. And um, by the way, they uh, Lucian says some people who came just to watch this because, you know, like you said, it's a you know, it's a holy event. It's a festival. Right. Um, some people who come to watch get caught up in the process and end up out there naked in front of the population, cutting their testicles off. Wow. And this is, this is because they really believe in these rites. Yeah. They're practicing this sacred ancient and these Phrygian rites weren't new. They would go up to, and they, they said that the Phrygians got their rights from Samothrace. Yeah. Yeah. Yasion. Yeah. This is the story that, and even Clement talks about this in, in his exhortation to the Greeks. Yasion laid with Demeter in a, in a, in a, in a, in a fall night, right before fall came. And then Zeus struck him down with, with lightning bolt. But they said before that happened, he brought the rights to Phrygia. Yasion, right? <laughs> Jason or Jesus. <laughs> Same name, and that's actually, a, there's that's actually, there's actually, there's actually, there's actually some text that spell it Yasios with an S at the end. It's that's a the, title. It's a title, right? It's a title within the cult. It's a healer, right? Yeah, and it comes from. You're exactly right to point out that Yao root. People think that it's used in magic, by the way. Just those Greek letters, Iota, Alpha, Omega is part of a magic ritual. It is the saying of the I am that I am, right? And it's a healing. They could, uh, Pion they, is one of the shouts that they have with it in the rites. So you can see these things. I mean, they're in the text. I'm telling you, if you take those gospels and cut out all the sections that have to do with Jesus performing mystery as a magus and getting down on a young kid who's acting as the bridge by the way neil the bridge by the way with the kid or the drugs right that kid is there administering that drug to jesus that kid is the ganymede the cup right that kid is the cup and jesus is taking that cup and it poisons his ass and he ends up not getting the antidote and screaming on the cross and dying early neil we know for a fact, all the evangelicals out there, please support this. We know for a fact Jesus did not die of crucifixion. He did not die of crucifixion. Ask the next religious historian. Say this crazy guy said Jesus didn't die of crucifixion. That's what the texts say, right? Because the Romans were like, they even noted it. They're like, oh, he was dead early. He's hanging up there. You know, he shouldn't be dead yet. God, quick. Right, right. <laughs> right. What's going on? Right. You know what's interesting about that? Oh, go ahead. Finish that thought. I don't, I don't well, he's screaming. I just want you to realize he's there screaming. Right. And he's yelling out his stuff about being thirsty. He's yelling out a phrase, which strangely enough, looks like it's been lifted. The Sabachthon directly from the magical papyri. The, you know, contemporary. 
that Paul is saying, throw all your magic books out, right? Guess what? Jesus is using one. Yeah. Right? And look, look, look. You just nailed on what I was about to say. So that Sabakathon thing, right? Everyone points it out that it's in Psalm 22. Okay. They chose that Psalm for a reason because it's pointing to the Sabakathon. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the Greek, if you look at the Septuagint version, there's something happening there with the Sabakathon. But listen to this, though. Put that aside for a second. You got the Sabakathon on the cross. He's yelling out, my God, why are you forsaking me? Psalm 22. But the other three Gospels, he's also, all, all three of them have a different psalm. So when one of them, it's this, my God, the other one, it's LOI. L- like all three, all four of the Gospels are from a different psalm. Psalms are songs that you sing. Yeah, They're hymns. Orpheus, when Orpheus is killed by the Maenads, what is he doing? He's singing hymns. Both Jesus and Orpheus die singing chants and hymns. It's Why? it's Orphic. I'm telling you, it's Orphic. That's what it is. It's Orphic. Why is that? Is is it just me, or was Orpheus in his before he was torn apart by the crowd of his own followers? Um, he was saying something about naked boys, wasn't he? he yeah. Didn't, oh, didn't oh, he swear last, off? So this is Ovid's Metamorphosis. Actually, I, I can. Uh, I think I have the text right here somewhere. We can just catch people up. We can just catch just people up. All right. Look at look at this up. Ovid's Metamorphosis. The the last story about about um, Orpheus after or after the Eurydice story, it says that Orpheus was so depressed about Eurydice that he decided to take up the Thracian rites of plucking little boys' manhoods before they come of age, and that the women were throwing themselves at Orpheus, and he was denying them because he was into this stuff. Now I'm not I'm not I'm not just making this up. This is in the text. He's plucking his nectar, people. He's plucking his nectar, and he's bringing that kid. Galen has the descriptions of the prepubertal boy, excreta, and the postpubertal. He's getting that serous fluid. Why? Because we're cutting him, and we're wrapping him with wraps so that he can have venom concoctions administered Directly, I mean, this is a great way to fly, brah. Yeah, um, eunuchs. You thought all the eunuchs were made by carving. Um, there's also chemical ways, right? There's chemical ways for that transformation to find that feminine, to take that masculine and to bring out snappy. There's ways to do that, you know, and they're involved in these ways. This should make you evangelicals very scared at the same time, very upset that your own dude was involved in this kind of activity. You're holding up signs that say, that say, hey, save the children. Guess what? Your guy Putin is abducting them. And your guy Jesus was thick in it. Thick in it. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to your Christian mystery. Yeah. Yeah.
Mm. I was uh, I'm pulling up the text so I, people before they say that I'm a liar that I'm crazy. You have to see it for yourself. Um, it's book eleven, I believe, by the death of Orpheus. So while the songs, let me see, let me see if I can share my screen. Um, let me see. Uh, damn. Yeah, I'll share my screen right now. Just read it to us, Neil. Just okay. Read it. All right. I, I, I'm trying to find it. Actually, it's somewhere in. It's somewhere right before he dies. I know that. Let's see. Bacchus and Midas. Bacchus. What he's. Oh, here we go. I'll talk while you're looking. Oh, did you find okay, it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Look for it. Or talk while I'm looking for it. So he's looking for this myth. It's basically the myth that Orpheus was killed by his own menads, right? And that he was killed for that reason because he swore off. He swore off the right. He stopped the mystery and declared that he would only worship the sun. Yeah, Apollo, right? Yeah. So they cut his head off and threw it in the river. And he, you know... Um, people will take credit for where that ended up and what I'll, I'll get it ready for the next time we do all live because I, yeah. I don't I gotta go to the bathroom anyway. Uh, we've been going live for two hours and uh I'm sure you got <laughs> stuff to do anyway. But yeah, listen, then, then my look it, look it up over its metamorphosis. The last thing he does before he gets killed is he takes on the Thracian rites, this is what it says. Not this is not my words, this is Ovid's words, takes on the Thracian rites of plucking little boys' manhoods before they come of age. And he says that their women were throwing themselves at him and he was denying them. That's what it says. I'm just saying what it says. But that's that's Orphic. These are the mist- this is all we just went full back circle to the beginning of this text. What's happening in Mark 14? Something Orphic is happening. That's what it is. Something mysterious. Something. Oh, I'm sorry, you. I missed your super chat. Have you made a video on the exiting soul trap? Have you spoken with Howdy Misek? I will look into that. That's a good question. Thank you for the super chat. Um, but yeah, back to full circle again. What is happening in Mark 14? It's the mystery. That's what's happening. Um, before last, the final thoughts on this. My fu- my final thoughts, if I can have any are that uh, we need to just accept the evidence. We don't need any ideas. We don't need any theories. We just need to look at the texts that are there and to determine, okay, what are they using? How are they using it? It's just good detective work. And in doing so, we can free people from the narrative that they've already been fed and that is causing this great, I mean, it, this is our duty, man. If Tom Jefferson were here, he was a classicist. He'd be like, you people, you know, oh, uh, Neil, Neil, when are they going to listen? When are they going to listen? It's, oh, you know, um, yeah, that's all I can say. Hey, have you heard from uh, Anastasia at all? Do you have any updates? Everybody, oh, yeah. she's, uh, she was talking about how what her, one of her friends who was a, who was a male stripper. And I, it reminds me of what you said about Hercules. Hercules putting on the, you know, putting on the, the costume of the, the garb of the women and uh, then going to war. Because this male stripper is dressed up, ready to fight the Russians. 
She she was posing pictures with them. I was like, that's all. I, Ukrainians, I love Ukrainians so much. <laughs> They're the heroes of today. They're yeah. that's those are the Bacchic warriors right now. That's Hercules and Bacchus over there. What what is it, Neil? Do you think it's the tension, like at a specific place and time? You know that you'll have this force attracted, and you can really concentrate. I mean, the place where they hung the fleece was um, sacred to Mars. So it's a it's a war environment. Is it that war environment that suddenly brings that virgin, you know, that that somebody can be the receptacle then? I mean, I don't mean to be creepy or culty or anything, but if you think about it, the people then who are in that environment, like Anastasia, it she be, can become the receptacle for real freedom. For that actual spirit of Athena, am I crazy or? No, that's what it is. That's that. Uh, I think of the democracy versus, um, whatever Russia. I mean, I guess it's like an oligarchy, right? Mm-hmm. That's that Republican I- oligarchy, you know, where the the billionaires are deciding the fate of the people. Whereas the Ukraine has that like that that, that symbol of of Lady Liberty. Holding up the, the 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 scale in her hands and the sword in the other hand, and that's Ukraine right now. That's Ukraine right now. Ukraine is embodying that spirit right now. That's yeah. the lady with the scale in one hand and the sword in the other hand. Ukraine. That's who you are right now. That's how I see it. She's the virgin, Neil. I mean, if we're gonna find Athena. Most somewhere version you there ever be Most somewhere precious. you know what i mean oh i can't i can't wait this is fantastic you know it's it's terrible to it's terrible to see something beautiful and something that's so dark but i mean that's what dawn is right that's what that's what the dawn bringers do right this is i wish we could speak um about all the cult we didn't even get to the 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 pantocrator and the connection to mithras did you know here i will leave with i'll leave with this oh, go ahead take your time take your time I'll, I'll i'll just tease um there's a direct linguistic connection between jesus christ and mithras he is the unconquered son yeah it's gorgeous yeah i'll show you the it's the bible man nobody ever reads it i don't know why yeah uh, I also have the link for your YouTube in the description, um, and I'm showing it right now. Subscribe to Lady Babylon, and what what twice a week you're going live and you're doing deep dives like you just heard today. So the, if you like what you heard today, Amon does this twice a week. He's doing this, and he's touching on different subjects in the ancient Greek world that nobody's talking about. You'll not get this anywhere else except for Lady. I'm the kid. I'm not kidding. I watch every time you're live. I'm watching every time. So I thank you for the opportunity, Neil, to be able to speak. And, you know, I want people to know Neil told me uh, last week, he was like, you realize we're at war. And I was like, oh, this guy's crazy. What's he doing? (laughs) You know, I was like, what? Um, And I got to thinking about it over a couple of days. Right. And he understood. He he had a focus, and he understood. 
exactly what one of those watchers, one of those watchers would give you in Sodom. The exact same thing. Those are the lightning bringers, right? Those bring the fire from Uranus. This is heavenly kingdom stuff, people. You don't realize what's there. It's the apocalypse. Neil, you promised me. We bring the apocalypse or we don't do we anything. Do. We are. We, this, is, this, this is exactly what that is. Neil and I are two witnesses for you. Yeah, and we are witnessing to Jesus Christ, the selling pirate uh, uh, child rapist. Jesus Christ, the kid-selling child rapist, druggie. He's on drugs, a lot of drugs, Jesus and drugs. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot, I found it. Orpheus. Such was the grave grove of Orpheus drawn together. He's surrounded and assembled by animals. He tried the chords and was convinced on the notes, raised the voice, oh muse. Is this it? But now but now for the gentler I would sing for boys, the favorites of the gods, and even of maids pay the penalties of the wrong. Is that it? No, that's that's something else. Huh. All right, I'll find it next time. It's somewhere in Orpheus. Or I'm um, something somewhere in Ovid. I'll find it for next time. Uh, and by the way, Neil, no, by the way, you know, it's really cool that you oh, I found it. I found my Ovid. Okay. Okay, I can find it now. I can it's find very it cool. I'll I'll so glad we held out this long. I found yeah. it right now. I I have okay. it saved right here. Look at Okay, me. it's so glad it's so good that you're doing this with Ovid, that you're resurrecting Ovid. Um, doesn't he get in prison in the most hostile <laughs> place to civilization at the time? Um, yep. and it was for Julia, wasn't it? It was maybe for yeah, anyway. yeah, 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 yeah. Ovid, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, can you can you read this for me? Picture. Oh, uh, top uh, part. The top part. This is from uh. Yeah, with the love of women, with the love of women, perhaps because of his fortune and love, or he may have plighted his troth forever. But scores of women were burning to sleep with the bard and suffered the pain of rejection. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, yeah. Women are throwing themselves at him. He's rejecting them. That's what that means. Yeah. You, Elvis, Elvis is not available. Right before Orpheus gets killed, but keep going. Orpheus even started the practice among the Thracian tribes of turning for love to immature males and of plucking the flower of a boy's brief spring. Before he has come to his manhood. Welcome to salvation, brothers and sisters. Welcome to salvation. Welcome to the mysteries. Yeah. That's yeah. What, so do you want so the, the answer to answer the question that we've been the answer to the question of this of this stream. What is happening in Mark 14? Yeah. Yeah. Mysteries. Yeah. That's he, the answer. Yeah. Brilliant. Neil, that was the best thing ever produced. Yeah, I can't. It's done. <laughs> You have just attained true gnosis. You have just attained true gnosis. The demiurge has no power over you.